Uh, it's an honor and a treat to get to open up God's Word with you. This morning we are going to be in the Gospel of John, so if you have a copy of God's Word um, or want to take one of the um, Bibles in the pew in front of you and turn to John chapter 15, I'll read verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word will remain forever. Let me pray for us again. Father, Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we pray that You would lead us by it this morning. Show us the ways in which we need to learn a greater dependence on You. Build us in our trust in You. I pray that we will see fruit in our lives from Your Spirit, working in us those attitudes and those actions that are pleasing in Your sight. Gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, diligence, patience, courage, and wisdom. But Father, we know that without Your work in us, without Your pruning, without your Son's Spirit inside of us working without your guiding hand, that none of these things will come about in our lives. They are just beyond our reach. But Father, by the work of your Spirit, by faith in your Son, by your pruning, we know that, um, that we can have these things displayed in our lives, that we can know what these things look like. Lord, we pray that you would Lead us in this and that our, your joy would be in us and that um, our joy would be full. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. There's an old 1950s movie, um, Twelve Angry Men, that some of you may remember. I believe it was um, Best Picture of the Year it came out. But it's interesting in the fact that only the very beginning scene uh, is in the courtroom uh, in a the courtroom setting, um, and the rest of the entire movie takes place in a room with 12 angry men. It's what its title says. And in that movie, these 12 men debate about the fate of the man that was on the stand, the man who's being accused of murder. It's very intense, these conversations that take place. And at the beginning of the movie, all 12 of them are pretty much convinced that this man is guilty. But as the story unfolds, they all come to a different conclusion. 
Why well, I, I use that as an illustration of what's happening here in John chapter 15, because the context is one in which we're all in a room with Jesus, or I should say the 11 disciples are with Jesus. And what we could entitle this scene is 11 confused men, 11 men that aren't quite understanding of what Jesus is trying to tell them. This, this scene is a, is a very uh, intense and intimate scene because it's 24 hours, maybe less, than when Jesus will be crucified. And he's talking to his disciples at a point in which Judas, the 12th disciple, has already left. He's already set in motion the events that through those events, Jesus will uh, be crucified. Through uh, these events, the, the most uh, pivotal event, we could say, the most cataclysmic of history, his death and resurrection, are going to happen. And so if you can picture this setting, Jesus is, is speaking to them in this very intimate and intense way because he's about to go to the cross. Some of you may think back to moments in which there was, uh, there was an end in sight, you know, where your time with someone else, at least in the form that it's had before was coming to a close. I think of saying goodbye to a son or a daughter as they go off to college. Or um, possibly it was a hug and a handshake you gave to some, some very close friends as they, they moved cities, as they loaded up in their moving van to leave. And as you think about those moments, often the, the very most important things rise to the surface, don't, don't they? Like That's when you want to communicate uh, in these final words that which is most true of your relationship, or that which you've always wanted to say but never, maybe never said it. Well, well, here in the Gospel of John, uh, as some people call it the farewell discourse, some people call it the inner sanctuary because it's so uh, tender and intimate, the things that Jesus says to his disciples here. Here we have Jesus saying this to his disciples, abide in me. He says in verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a tone of sobriety here, of warning, that apart from Christ, we, we can do nothing. And yet there's also this hopefulness that in me, you can bear much fruit. And we want to keep those things, those two things together as we consider what Jesus is saying in this passage. And especially as we consider what's ahead of us in 2023. Uh, Nate Sheridan, a friend of mine who I attended seminary with, uh, taught a parenting conference. I encourage you to uh, go online. He, he spoke at First Press Jackson this past week. And they, if they haven't been posted, they'll be posted soon. But in it, Nate gave all this advice to parents, all this instruction about Hey, how, how can we be parents that fear the Lord and teach our kids how to fear the Lord? But he started his um, lesson saying this. You know, we are a group of people that need fresh starts. And the way that, that one of the ways we know that is that God gives us beginnings and ends to our days, doesn't He? And He gives us beginning and ends to our weeks and beginnings and ends to our months and beginnings and ends to our years. And it's as if God is teaching us that we all need fresh starts that we all need another chance to start over. And as we think about that for you and me in 2023, 
I want us to consider what would it look like for us to put the most important things first this year? What would it look like for us to honor those callings in our lives that God has placed on us as first and foremost, as central, as things we must not forget? And as we think about what that would look like, I want us to remember what Jesus is saying here. Because He is saying that whatever endeavors you have, whatever dreams you have, whatever good or maybe not so noble uh, ambitions you have in life, that whatever that is, consider this, that we must abide in Christ in order to be fruitful. And so we have to ask ourselves, how will I abide in Christ this year? How will I learn to, to abide in Him in such a way as described here? that I'll be fruitful. And now I'm going to walk through this text under four headings as we think about that theme of, abi- theme of abiding in Christ. And I, I get these, uh, these headings from a book by Sinclair Ferguson. I know y'all mentioned his name earlier for a study y'all were doing. Uh, he's a wonderful preacher and a wonderful pastor. But um, you can get this, uh, this book on Kindle or in your um, uh, order online. Uh, but it's called Lessons from the Upper Room. And it, it uh, hones in on these chapters, chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John. And I, I borrow a lot of his uh, structuring as I think about even this passage, John 15. And so listen to these four headings that I, that I took from Ferguson. Um, the first is that we abide in Christ by seeing ourselves as in Christ. That's, that's the first sort of principle of abiding in Christ. See yourself as in Christ. Second... Trust your heavenly Father's pruning. That to abide in Christ, we have to trust that God is at work in our lives through pruning. The third is that we abide in Christ by being nourished on His Word. That that abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word are almost synonymous in this passage. And then finally and fourthly is that we love in response to His love. That that's the, the key fruit that we're looking for through abiding in Christ. So first, abide in Christ. See yourself as in Christ. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And He's using this image for His disciples that would have been familiar to them in their days. It is this picture of a vine and a branch. Um, A branch cannot bear fruit apart from its connection to the vine. Maybe during Christmas at some point, if you have a a live Christmas tree, maybe you, you at some point intentionally or unintentionally had a branch come off that tree. Of course, the, the tree itself has already been removed from uh, the soil, but it's, it's often in something that hopefully uh, is, is watering that tree. But if you break off a branch just like that, I mean, it dries up. Just like that, if, if you're not careful, that can be a fire hazard, can't it? Um, well, the, the same is true for us as we think about our relationship to Christ. In fact, I, I asked the college students this, this week as we were talking about this passage, I said, Um, consider how the New Testament describes people who put their faith in Christ. What is the label they give them? And if you're like me, your mind may go to the term Christian. You think, okay, the most basic way to describe somebody who puts their faith in Christ is a Christian, because that's how in our, our setting we describe people who follow Christ, Christians. But the New Testament only uses that word about three times to describe Christians. And at least two of those are most likely from, from people outside the faith that are kind of 
uh, in a way, looking down on the people who are followers of Christ, calling them Christians sort of in a dismissive way. But if we consider how the New Testament describes people who put their faith in Christ, the term far and away, the phrase that, that is used to describe them is being simply in Christ. In Christ. Like that's, that's the, the phrase that, that's used to describe us as Christians. Now, for a moment, think about how that should shape your view of yourself as a Christian. That if you're here this morning and you've put your faith in Christ, that you are in Christ, that all that is true of Him is true of you. The way that uh, Galatians 2.20 puts it is this. Paul, Paul the Apostle says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Do you hear how Christ and the message of the cross just soaks Paul's whole self-identity? That... I've been crucified with Christ. It's almost as if Jeff is no longer living. It is as if Christ by Spirit lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, to the extent that I am still living, I live by, the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. In other words, what are the most essential ways I describe Christ? He is the one who loves me. And He is the one who gave Himself up for me. This is what it means to abide in Christ. To, to see Him as, that, as Him who loves us, who loved us and gave Himself up for us. Now, this is, again, quoting Sinclair Ferguson. He says, To abide is to live with the sense that the Son of God loves us and gave Himself up for us, that He dwells within us by His Holy Spirit, and that we know that our life is no longer our own, but is His. We belong to Christ. Another uh, pastor from the eight, late eight, uh, 19th century, the, the late 1880s, Charles Ross, a Scottish preacher, said this, um, What is it to abide in Christ? It implies, for one thing, a continued sense of the need of Him. Isn't that interesting? That some of the things, the very things that maybe we, we, we um, wish would go away, you know, that, that sense of needing Christ, that, that thing in our lives that reminds us of our weakness, that thing in our lives that reminds us that we need Christ. Well, it's that very thing that drives us, that reminds us to abide in Him, that is actually necessary to abide. This poverty of spirit, he says, to which the blessing is attached by our Lord, is characteristic of the Christian, not just at the outset of his course, but while he is a Christian in this world. Beware, beware of a religion that dispenses with the necessity of poverty of spirit. Um, we have to re always remind ourselves that we need him. But with that, that, that sense of need, we also need this abiding perception that Christ is all-sufficient in meeting our needs. Um, the blessedness of the poor in spirit lies in that their kingdom, is the, uh, their kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And the blessedness of the Christian growing in the poverty of spirit lies that Christ is his. And to be more and more known by him in his unsearchable riches. What he's saying there is we have to match that abiding in the sense of need for him with abiding in the fact that he really does meet our needs, that he really is sufficient, that Christ really is ours. 
If you have one without the other, it doesn't mean anything. If you have one, uh, if you have the, the first without the second, then you're going to be always uh, kind of dwelling in this sense of loss. But we have to keep the two together. I need something very deeply, and that need is provided in Christ. Those two things joined together is how we abide in Christ. This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. What does he mean by that? He means that in the same way that you see a child both feel their need, feel their weakness and vulnerability, and yet trust their parents, sometimes naively, that they'll be able to provide for that need, that's a picture of how we abide in Christ. That's a picture of our faith, of knowing our weakness and vulnerability, and yet knowing that Christ will provide. So, so we abide in Christ. We, um, we see ourselves as in Christ. But there's an, another part that comes out here, and it's trusting our Heavenly Father's pruning. It comes out in the very uh, first verse of this passage, leading into the second. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, what would it look like for us to, to trust that this year? What would it look like for you and me to trust our Heavenly Father's pruning? Well, it's not easy because often pruning is the picture of God taking away something that's very, very dear to us, taking away something to us that we wished we had. And yet, we are to trust our Heavenly Father that everything He takes away is for our good. Uh, some of you may have a green thumb and you, you get this metaphor more than others. I have uh, some neighbors who take good care of their yard and I watch them throughout the seasons of the year prune at different times their flowers or plants or trees. And when they're pruning them, and they tend to know when this uh, is the best time for that specific plant and the specific time of year, when they prune them, it looks like they're destroying them. It looks like um, I have some trees, particularly that my neighbors hire someone to trim, to trim down every year. And every time I see it, I'm like, okay, this is the year they finally want to get rid of those trees because they, they hack them down. They take all the limbs and it's as if there's nothing left when they're, they're finished. The pruners and the gardeners are finished with these trees. And yet every year I'm proven wrong because they bloom and blossom more than the year before. It's because they know exactly what that tree needs in order to be fruitful. And the same is true for us. That our Heavenly Father, though He takes things away and we say, oh, that, that hurts, Lord, or why are you doing that? That we can say, Lord, may I trust You this year for the things You take away. The things that feel like to me I should hold on to, but You know what's best. Amy Carmichael, uh, a missionary in India for 55 years, who knew a great deal about suffering, said this about this, this whole process. She said, What a prodigal waste it appears to be scattered on the floor, these bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from a sharp knife. But with a tried and true husbandman, you know, with a tried and true gardener who, who knows what he or she is doing, there's not a random stroke in it at all. Nothing cut away, which it wouldn't have been a loss to keep, a gain to lose. 
Can we say that this year to our Heavenly Father? That, Lord, all the things that you're going to take away from my life, I trust, are a loss, would have been a loss to keep, and yet are a gain to lose. I trust you. That's what we want to grow in, in order to abide in our Heavenly Father, in order to abide in Christ. There's another practical implication here, though. There's one that uh, we come to now of being nourished in Christ's Word. That as we abide in Christ, we abide in His Word. The, the, it's, what's interesting is if you read through uh, these verses, He'll be talking about abiding in Him, and then He'll switch the language to abiding in my words. It's almost as if those things are synonymous. In verse 3, He says, Already you are clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. And what he's, what he's saying there, often in the Gospel of John, they have double meaning for the, the phrases and metaphors. But what Jesus seems to be saying there is, you have new life just by the faith you've placed in me. That I've already done this fundamental work of making, uh, of making you able to bear fruit. But then he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That as you abide in me... And as you meditate on my words, that your prayers will, in a sense, start to mirror the things that I want for you. That you'll begin to ask for those very things that I have put in a desire in your heart for. And and I will honor those prayers. Um, What does it mean to let God's Word dwell richly in our hearts? It's to soak it in. It's to leave no room in our lives that is locked to its influence and to its power. Jesus is saying, my word is the instrument I'm going to use to make you fruitful. Um, Why don't we all resolve this year that we'll ask God to let His work dwell in us richly and to bring about what He sees as good in our lives. There's a subtle change that we need to make, a subtle pivot in our minds that often... Maybe we approach God's Word and we say, okay, how can I make this work in my life? Um, And we maybe grit our fists and we clench our teeth and we say, I'm going to work harder this year to make God's Word work in my life. But actually, as you read the way God's Word describes itself, is it's what's powerful. It's what works in our lives. That doing exactly what you're doing now, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, is what will bring about fruit in your life. And we want to have that disposition that it, it is what works in our lives. That as we soak in the message of the gospel, as we soak in the core truth of God's word, that he'll begin to change us. That his spirit will stir in us that which he wants to cultivate in our lives. Um, the pressure's not all on us. The, the, we can trust him to work through his word. And the, the fruit, and this is the final point, the fruit that we, we ultimately hope to see is one of love. Love in response to His, work, His love for us. It says in John 15, in verse 8, He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, for one thing, that the fruit that we most, we most want to uh, pray that we see 
is one of just love. That this is the greatest commandment. Loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, There are a lot of things that we want to see in our lives. And a lot of things that, that Jesus tells us we can hope to see in our lives this year. But they all come back to this core fruit. And it's one of love. That if we're going to learn how to talk the right way to people with gentleness, respect, it'll come back to love. If we're going to uh, give more this year sacrificially, then we'll want that, that giving to come from love. That if we want to uh, commit to the means of grace more faithfully, that, that that commitment and that discipline will be stirred up by love for God. That's the, the core fruit that Jesus says we should see on the branch. It's one of love, and it's response to God's love for us. Um, This is again from that uh, 19th century preacher, Charles Rawls. He says, to abide in God's love... Oh, sorry, I don't know if that came out louder. Hopefully you've heard me this whole time uh, while I've been preaching. We're almost done. To abide in God's love is not the exercise of my love uh, towards Him although that is an important duty, but it is to abide under the influence of Christ's love for us. Um, It's as if Jesus says, abide under the sweet smiles of my love to you. Abide under the sweet smiles of my love to you. Don't we see a picture of this in the book of Proverbs? Uh, Some of you uh, have this habit. It's one I have, is that I try to read a little bit of Proverbs every day. And what you read in Proverbs are these very urgent commands, you know, these very urgent directives and instruction. And there's urgency and there's tenderness because the the picture of Proverbs is one of a father talking to his son. And it, it repeats that theme again and again. My son, hear my words. Remember my commands. And why does the father say it in those terms? Because he wants the son to remember I'm saying these commands to you to remind yourself about because this comes from my love for you. Remember my my care for you. Like I want you to remember these commands not by any burden or any sense of, uh, of, of you need to earn my love, but it's out of my love that you'll obey these commands because you'll remember that these commands are for you. They're for your good. Well, that's the the same thing that Jesus is saying here when He says, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. Um, when, When God's Word begins to work in us, and our Father is glorified in the way in which we love Him, and the way we love one another... Um, Then we have this joy that he describes at the end of the the passage I read. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As as much as as sobering as these commands are and these instructions about bearing fruit and not bearing fruit, I want us to end with that note of joy, of hope, um, for, for abiding in Christ in 2023. One of the uh, singer-songwriters that my wife and I enjoy uh, the most did a tour this uh, summer. It was his final tour. It's a West Texas country singer, Robert Earl King. Some of you may have listened to him before. He sings a lot of uh, songs that have stories in them. He tells these stories. But one of the uh, songs and stories we love is this story of uh, uh, a man with uh, his partner, this, his wife, uh, pr- uh, presumably, at a dance hall. And he says this, uh, I tried hard to tell you I was no kind of dancer. 
Yet you took my hand to prove I was wrong. You guided me gently. We were dancing together by the end of the song. Such a sweet song. This picture of a reluctant dance partner, of somebody saying, no, 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 I can't dance. And yet his wife taking him by the hand and saying, no, come with me. Um, You took my hand to prove I was wrong. You guided me gently. We were dancing together by the end of the song. That's what's happening here when we abide in Christ. He takes us by the hand. He takes us by His Word. He takes us by the pruning that He'll do. He takes us in prayer and He says, let me guide you in this. And by the end of the song, uh, you'll be dancing. By the end of the song, you'll be bearing fruit. Doing something you never thought you could. And that's loving me in a way that glorifies my Heavenly Father. May that be true of us this year. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You that You do guide us by the hand. You do take us um, with Your Word. You do take us with uh, Your wise and good pruning, as hard as it is. And You do take us in, uh, in response to Your love and You show us how to love. You show us how to do the dance steps here. And we pray that we would grow in our love for You and that we would abide in You. That our uh, fruit would come... Uh, and that it would bring glory to You. And we pray all these things for Christ's sake. Amen.